literally, it's a change of mind, right? We need to change your mind on us being on the throne, change that because that's not right, and putting God on the throne because that's where he is at. Uh, Thomas Brooks would say that repentance is a vomit of the soul. Ugh. Right, it's very graphic. <laughs> right? Way to put it. Bring that up, Spence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a it's the place of uh, recognizing and realizing who God is in truth, and it's a turning to Him. Now, easy. You had mentioned that God grants repentance, right. and that's what Second uh, Timothy, I believe it is, it tells us that God grants repentance that leads to the truth. Uh, Mark Dever said, it is a turning from the sins you love to the holy God you're called to love. This is the Living Waters Riddle Marathon, where we have a marathon with riddles. Here we go, guys, as fast as you can. What has to be broken before you can use it? Uh, Cheese. Eggs. Ooh, Oscar, good. I'm tall when I'm young and I'm short when I'm old. What am I? Ray Comfort. (laughs) (laughs) A candle moving right along. What month of the year has 28 days? All of them. February. Mark. Mark. I was was right too, by the way. Nice try, Oscar. What is full of holes but still holds water? Cheese. Sponge. Sponge. Are you cheating, Mark? Hey, was I right? I'm typing as fast as you're doing it. (laughs) Brilliant, Mark. What questions can you never answer yes to? No. The ones that, and the answer is no. Yeah, Ray's right. Are you asleep yet? Uh, <laughs> I ask you that every night. Every night I annoy by saying oh, you're asleep that's a yet. good one. Wake up, well, honey, wake up, wake up. Yeah. Are you asleep? Uh, what asleep? is always in front of you but can't be seen? You know? Your face. Future. Your nose. Part of your... Whoa. Hey, dude, you're eating I'm these. not. Okay. So what did you say, Oscar? The future. future. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> okay. But what have you never seen? You've never seen your face. No one's ever seen their face. Unless okay. you read the book of Revelation. There we go. There's a one-story house in which everything is yellow, yellow stairs, yellow doors, yellow furniture. What color are the stairs? It's a canary. Yellow. A dead canary. A dead canary? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wrong riddle. There are no <laughs> stairs. Ah, there aren't any. It's a one-story house. What can you break even if you never pick it up or touch it? Your face? I promise. What goes hey, up but hey, never hey. comes down? Oh, was the commandments. Your age. You missed it. A man who was outside in the rain without an umbrella or he didn't get a single hair on his head wet. A man was outside He's in bald. the rain without an <laughs> He's umbrella. He's bald. Why? He's bald. Wow. Who wins? I didn't keep score. Oscar probably thought he won. <laughs> <laughs> I always think I won. <laughs> I won. I won. All right. Here is a comment. Why are we going from that to that? You guys like riddles? I like when those. they're good our, ones. Our family yeah, I like does them a lot. Have you guys ever have you guys ever had a situation where I mean you had a riddle and you pondered it for days? Yeah, no, like, that's why we have the internet. Frustrated the kraken. <laughs> our family, you would, you would do that. Yeah, work, work smarter, yeah. not harder. Yeah, you would. The whole point, Mark, is in the satisfaction of actually finding Einstein an answer disagrees. with your own brain. I get super satisfaction by looking it up real quick. <laughs> yeah, like watching the end of a rugby game before you watch the game. Oh, so you know who won. Yeah, so then you can enjoy the game. That's it. So you read the Bible, check the last chapter, and you'll win. Mark, can you do that? I mean, Absolutely. Are you... Most movies I do that. I no, watch no, the no, first five minutes movies, Forget five movies, minutes. sports. You would enjoy knowing if your team won or not and then watching the game? No. Yeah, well, listen, if I come home and it's like midnight and I knew that my team won, I could stay for another two hours watching the game. Okay, you, you would still watch the game? If yeah, you if I knew my team won. If you knew, because you happened to hear, but would you purposefully find out before watching the game? It's it's not more boring to you? Well, are you giving him money <laughs> to say yes? Or <laughs> paying him? I would, absolutely. Whatever. I yeah. would. Yeah. That's oh, have you ever? 
all the time. Would you, Oscar, do that? No. How come you didn't ask Oscar the same way Here's you asked Mark? Thing. This is what you said to this is what you said to Mark. Would you watch a game? No. That's what you said asking the question. Okay, you know what that's no. like? It's like saying, uh, I wish there was a way to get the full satisfaction of tasting all my food uh, before I eat it. Me? And then I'll eat it uh, without any taste of the food. That's a dumb analogy. <laughs> that's got to be the dumbest analogy. That's probably the most brilliant analogy I've ever come up with. <laughs> so probably. <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's good. Oscar. That is true. That is true. <clears throat> that was... Anyway, enough of that, guys. Here's a comment from... Uh, Mo from the H. Okay, now read it first so you don't stumble. Mo from the H. The G3 conference. <laughs> My name is Moses. I had the privilege of meeting Easy, the Wheezy, and Oscar today. <laughs> My mind ran at 1,000 miles a second that I don't remember what I stuttered. Easy is the same in person. It's a good thing. And so is Oscar. I just wanted to hug Oscar, but I knew that would be weird. <laughs> he wasn't wearing a shirt. I look, up to <laughs> <laughs> I look up to all of y'all as you inspire me to be a great man of God. P.S. Ray, I know you don't travel anymore, but one day, if God wills, I'll come to you. Laugh out loud. <laughs> that sounds Well, good. let's give his address. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ray's address is... <laughs> Thank you, Moses. What a blessing. It was a joy to meet you, and... Um, I'm glad you didn't get to meet Mark Ray. <laughs> I'll take a hug, by the way. Yeah, I had this very sweet lady the other day walked up to me, and she's like, can I just give you a hug? I was like, sure. She's like, you bless me so much. I was like, it was a great day for me. So oh, that's nice. Why did she spit after hugging you? <laughs> <laughs> she saw spider. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but no, thank you, uh, Moses. If you're ever uh, in the area, we'd love to see you drop by Living Waters. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by uh, Divine Dining Foods from the Bible. Ray. Ray. There's the one with Lance, right? I yes. had someone recently come through the ministry, look at some of the titles of Ray's list, and just shake their head. Like, what? Random, ra- randomness. We should call you Raydumness. <laughs> Raydumness. <laughs> that just came to me. Yes, you can tell. Oh, that was brilliant. Why, Ray? Why would you write a book on cooking? Why? Ray, why? By all means. By we, all means. The, it contains the gospel. You wrote that it's book not, too. Yes, yes. Amen. No, yes. Forgot about that one. Yeah, yeah. It's, it use everything to reach. I mean, what a great gift to give to someone at Christmas. Yeah. A book on cooking from the Bible, and it contains the gospel in the introduction. Mm, amen. Great book. We had fun filming that at our good friend Thomas Bertel's home. Uh, yeah, Chef Lance, we did an episode on it too. We did too. Yeah, but uh, we also have the book. So yeah, day. check it out. And uh, Chef Lance Natahara, great friend, great brother. Could we you love say you, Lance. His name you're correctly. He won Lance, Chopped. Lance Natahara. Yeah. And he was, uh, the, he was a sous chef for the team that won Iron Chef America. Yeah. And now he, uh, he teaches at the Culinary Institute of America, in New York. I mean, he is a yeah. very respected uh, chef and an incredible evangelist too. Yeah, yeah great wonder. brother. All right, friends, make sure to check that out along with the Living Waters mug. A lot of these have gone out, by the way, and we got some funny pictures that came in. Oh, they're yeah, so good. All that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, make sure to check them out along with Evan Study Bible at livingwaters.com. .com. All right, continuing with the seemingly eternal What is the Gospel series. We're getting close, friends, to wrapping them up. You've heard Who is God, The Fall of Man, Jesus of Nazareth, Grace Alone. Faith alone, today we are dealing with clearing up confusion about repentance. Welcome back to What is the Gospel? This is What is Repentance? With me is Easy, Ray Comfort, 
Mark Spence and myself, Oscar Navarro. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. I was just thinking, is there, there's, everything's always in three, three stooges, three musketeers. Is there anything for four doofuses? Four of a kind. <laughs> four, four of a kind. <laughs> That's a good thing, isn't it? Poker. Yeah. Connect four. I wouldn't know. Oh, four. Yeah. Four is uh, nothing now. Uh, all right. So we are discussing repentance. In the beginning of all of this, we uh, started with why it's important to go through the gospel in this way. Uh, and I thought it'd be valuable to ask again, um, wh- why is this important? Why is it important to sit down, Mark, and discuss the details of what repentance is? In Mark 1.15, um, we have the beginning of Jesus's earthly ministry. And he began by giving the command to repent and to believe the gospel. And then again, in Luke 13, verse 3, we'll cover that probably multiple times here. But in verse 3 and in verse 5, Jesus said, unless you repent, whatever that means, but unless you do it, you will perish. So we're going to define that word in just a moment, repentance. But there's such value attached to this word that unless you do this, you will go to hell. You know, Peter, one of the apostles, he ended his most famous sermon he ever preached by telling everyone who had believed in the name of Jesus to repent. And then we see the apostle Paul, the author of one third of the New Testament. He is pleading with people to have repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So um, to God, the only proper response to sin is this word repentance, whatever it means. Yeah. yeah. And it's, all over scripture in the old and in the new, which leads us to our first question. What is repentance? What does the word repentance mean? I just want to say real quick, Mark, you know, you quoted Mark uh, chapter one there and referenced what Jesus said. I love, I just love the word of God, right? And all of it is God breathed. We know that it's all given to us divinely by him. But there's something about those portions in the Bible that are marked red. And to us, it's not just that they're God-breathed, but they're God-breathed while being breathed by God, you know, right there and then. This is Jesus speaking. And I think so often we we just kind of forget that. We get so familiar with scripture, but even those parts, you know, it's like Jesus never uttered opinions. He never gave suggestions. He always spoke from the very depth of his deity. And so I, just as a follow-up to Mark, this is important because... uh these are things that come from the very mouth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh. Just a follow-up from easy. <laughs> this is a follow-up club. <laughs> you know, um, if Jesus said it, that's it, end of argument. You know, I, there's nothing to argue about if Jesus said it. Not for years I've said, always remember the order, repent and believe. It's always in Scripture, repent and believe. Because if you have believe and repent, you fill the church with false converts, the people who believe in Jesus, but they haven't found a place of, they're still in their sins. They sit among God's people and they're unrepentant. They still hold on to their sins. And that's horrific. It's a horrific place to be. And I never thought I'd see what I've been seeing lately, where there is a whole stack of people that say, all you have to do is believe. Right. Repentance is a work, and it's just crazy when Scripture is so very clear. So this is a very, very important subject. Yeah, let me add that repentance is one of the most positive words in the Bible, right? It refers to turning from a destructive path and moving onward towards God's plan for your life, which ultimately is to bring glory to God. So the most exciting word that we can actually discuss here is repentance, because God sees us who we are, and he says, man, I, I just, I love you too much to keep you that way. 
yeah, you know, repentance equals hope because if it's not something that you could be delivered from or something that you could change course on, then you're hopeless. You know, a lot of times I think people try to get away from identifying things as sin in their life, but God only forgives sins, right? Not excuses right? and not, uh, well, this is just a, you know, an issue I have or whatever. It's no, there's hope. So it's like recognize you've sinned, but God grants repentance. It's such a joyous thing. But I love what you said, Mark, whatever that means, right? Because we got, we've got to get into the nuances of this because it is important. You get differing perspectives. Different people say different things, but we got to be informed by a true biblical understanding of what repentance is really all about. So let's do the nuance. The nuance. nuance. Yeah. Uh, did we answer the question? What is repentance? I think Mark no, touched on a bit. All right, guys. So, what is repentance? How do you how do you describe what repentance is? If someone Meta- asks you? metanoia, that's all I say. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, Mark. Well, you know, it comes from uh, the Greek word metanoia, which, which means it's a cha- literally it's a change of mind. Right? We need to change our mind on us being on the throne. Change that because that's not right, and putting God on the throne because that's where He is at. Uh, Thomas Brooks would say that repentance is a vomit of the soul. Ugh. Right, it's very graphic. What right? a way to put to it. Bring that up, Spence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's a, it's the place of uh, recognizing and realizing who God is in truth, and it's a turning to Him. Now, easy. You had mentioned that God grants repentance, right. and that's what Second uh, Timothy, I believe it is, it tells us that God grants repentance that leads to the truth. Uh, Mark Dever said, it is a turning from the sins you love to the holy God you're called to love. I, I think that he hit it out of uh, the park, you know, with that. So it's, that's also name that it's, it's more than just feeling sorry for your sins. Right. You should feel sorry for your sins. And why should you feel sorry for your sins? It's because you are guilty. Why do I feel guilty? Because you're guilty and you don't need to be a Christian to have a sorrow to feel guilt. There is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow mm-hmm. and a, there's a godly sorrow which always will lead to repentance. It always leads to a right standing with God and a worldly sorrow will always lead to what seems to be a right standing, but really what it is, is it is you having a seemingly perceived now value with your fellow man, which is no value at all because you're not valuable until you have a value between you and God. So, yeah, you know, this is so important, guys. Let me tell you, I'm really excited that we're discussing this because for a lot of years, a lot of people have had a misunderstanding as to where we stand on this as a ministry. And that's probably one of the biggest criticisms we get, but it's it's really a straw man argument. It's based on a misunderstanding of what we're saying, where we're coming from as far as, as far as repentance is concerned. All of us in this room right now, and we as a ministry, wholeheartedly agree that repentance is granted and, and faith is granted. I mean, you listen to Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And then Mark cited it earlier, 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And it goes on. So we, we just have to set the stage with that understanding. First and foremost, repentance is granted. It's something that comes from the Lord. 
people get this perception that we're saying, no, repentance is some kind of work that you muster up on your own. We believe that salvation is of the Lord. God saves and God grants repentance. But we have to understand that it's an important part of salvation that God works all out together, you know, in his glory. You know, we're not telling people, neither is God. He's not telling people to clean their lives up and then come to me. Right. Right. We get mistaken of that as well. So you're telling people they need to clean up their lives. They need to stop smoking. They need to stop drinking, stop cheating, stop cussing, and then come to God. And that's not what we're saying. And that's not what God was saying. God's not saying clean your life up and then come to me. He's saying, and he's commanding, lay your life down. Not clean your life up, but lay your life down and come to me. And God does the work from the inside out. And we begin to love the things we once hated and we hate the things we once loved. And this is a true sign of a believer, one who has been born above, born from above, born again, right? So if we don't start with this rep- this word repentance, we're going to be very confused. Yeah, it's, you know, I like that you guys are touching on this. Repentance is a gift in work and work of God. However, it's also not simply a passive thing. Often we think there's passive and active, but uh, repentance is both passive and active, right? Mm-hmm. God grants it to you. He does the work, but also you respond in obedience. It's like Lazarus when Jesus gives him life and calls him to come out of there, right? It's Jesus that gave him life, but because he had life, he responded by walking out. Because we have faith, because we have saving faith, and because we have the gift of repentance, when you are called to repentance, of course you respond to right. repentance. Hey, listener, have you ever imagined yourself having a box of goodies for you to give away to every friend, loved one, non-believer that crosses your path? Well, now you can get one. That's because Living Waters is giving away 10 free boxes of goodies every single week. That's eight in the USA and two overseas. And this is being made possible by a faithful partner of ours that has given us funds to make these resources available to you for free. Each of these boxes has $100. That's right, $100 worth of tracks, books, and even your very own podcast mug. Go to livingwaters.com forward slash podcast, fill out the form, and then listen to the end of the episodes where we will be announcing our winners. Livingwaters.com forward slash podcast. Good luck. You know, I want to I want to elaborate on that, but first, Ray, I just want to ask you. You know, this was so huge for you back when you got a hold of biblical evangelism, mm. because you tell stories of what you used to do at different settings and how just cavalier people would be about their sin and repentance. But why don't you explain briefly what happened and how that shift came about, where you started realizing this needs to be preached? Yeah, people uh, they would say they're quite happy without Jesus, and I'd say I'd say no, you're not. <laughs> you can't be happy without Jesus because I made the issue one of happiness rather than righteousness. And I'd look at them and they were happy. They were enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. And so when I started understanding the, the use of the Lord, it brings the knowledge of sin and makes sin to be exceedingly sinful, then people could find a place of repentance. That my sin to me was nothing serious until I understood that in God's eyes it was an abomination. Right. 
You know, I was just witnessing to someone today who had no understanding, brought out the law, and suddenly their face went sober, their mouth was stopped, and that's what the law does. And then repentance makes sense. God commands all men everywhere to repent because he's appointed a day in which he'll judge the world in righteousness. So I want to quote Spurgeon, if I may. Spurgeon said, we must not, I think, undervalue repentance. It is a blessed grace of God and the Holy Spirit, and it is absolutely necessary under salvation. Now, someone could get that twister and say, listen, what Spurgeon's saying. We're not saved by grace, and you got to, it's salvation has come through repentance because it's necessary. And one thing I find disheartening is when Christians twist words and make it say something and spread it out that I believe something that I don't believe. And it's like friendly fire. It hurts and it does damage and there's people going to hell and we need to concentrate on them rather than shooting at each other. So, um, uh, as I said, I'm pleased we're talking about the subject. Yeah. And, you know, here's, here's the thing we have to remember. You know, sometimes we get into these debates over this issue and really we should. I mean, we need to really flesh these things out. We need to really do the, the work of understanding what Scripture says. But, but I think sometimes we forget how instantaneous conversion is. Yep how instantaneous regeneration is, you know? And we, we get into these arguments, you know, it's, it's what's called ordo salutis. And I can't believe I'm doing this because I always hear people quote Latin words. I'm like, why do you have to do that? Just well, say, I love ordo salutis. Right? Order of salvation. That's really the thing that's, that's discussed. And, and the question is, look, uh, does regeneration precede faith or does faith precede regeneration? Like which one happens? And I, again, it's a good debate. We need to have it. But guys, let's remember that, that, you know, regeneration is, is instantaneous. And at the same time, God is involved in the whole process. It, they make it sound like, you know, we're trying to say that God is removed from it and then you got to do this. The Holy Spirit is working and I believe brings a person to the place of brokenness and repentance and, and through that regeneration. And that's the debate. Well, is someone regenerated and born again and has a new nature? before they've repented, when they're still a, a sinner that, that's uncleansed, you know, in a sense? Or is it that they're, they, you know, God works in them, brings them to a place of brokenness, they repent, believe, and then they're, they're regenerated. But it's so instant. It's not even, you can't even put it in nanosecond terms. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's instant, you know? And, and he, here's something I wrote some uh, time back regarding all this, as far as how does it happen and when. Is it rhyme? Uh, no, but I can make it rhyme. I bet you could too. <laughs> um, okay. All right, here we go. But where will I stop? I do not know. I'll keep going as long as I can because I'm a wicked, sinful man. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Okay. It's like he turned it into a poem. <laughs> Let me start yeah. again. How can a person presently stop doing what they are not doing presently? In other words, if conversion is indeed a one-time instantaneous and legal transaction, and it is, at what point is one declared justified? Is it not at the moment that they exercised repentance and faith? At the, mo- at, that, at the moment that someone is believing and repenting, they are not at that given instance participating in sinful activities that they are able to stop participating in. Therefore, repentance must begin with that sorrowful change of mind about sin and God, combined with faith in Christ and the gospel. Once that happens, a person is immediately saved. The proof of their instant conversion will be demonstrated by a life that bears the fruit of their genuine repentance, a life characterized by no longer habitually participating in their former sins. Because if the seed of God abides in them, they can no longer practice sin. It is impossible to have a change of mind without a change of actions. But it's a change of mind about sin and God combined with faith in the gospel that instantly saves the sinner. 
It is then immediately followed by a physical turning from that sin, a volitional act to no longer habitually participate in it again, which is a part of that ongoing work of sanctification. The newborn Christian is enabled to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit that is now at work in him. If that distinct fruit of repentance is not evident in one's life, then it is evident that true repentance and faith never took place, and hence regeneration was never affected. So, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's instant. When you were talking about Ordus Salutis, it reminded me of gumbo soup. <laughs> gumbo soup. I love gumbo soup. You know gumbo soup, they throw everything in there. There's shrimp, <laughs> chicken, Squirrel. Pork. That's exactly what I was about to no, say. No, listen, Mark. chicken, pulled pork, rice, all of it. And it almost would be like me going, what do you taste first? You just taste gumbo soup. It's all in there, you know? And same thing with the Ordus Salutis. It's just, it's all in there. It's fun to talk about, yeah. but at the same time, it's all in there. It's all together. Yeah. And, and one more thing real quick in terms of um, repentance and being a work and whatnot. This is something I wrote as well. Repentance is not a work because it's not an action. It's an inaction. Actions are works. Inactions are the automatic, instant, and natural fruit of a changed mind. When I repent, my mind is changed, and therefore I automatically and instantly transition from that moment to being inactive toward a life of habitual sin. I'm not now doing something I'm simply now not doing something that I used to do. So it's not like I'm, okay, I, no, I mean, you're not doing it. And, and now you go on not doing it. And, and I think we're going to talk about how repentance is an ongoing thing. And this life. is almost crazy that we have to get, we have to define it in such terms uh, like this, but yeah, well, necessary, I think it's, right? It's, yeah, it's valuable because uh, it, it can become a Christianized, Christianese word. And when we use it, you know, we have to make sure we're using it clearly right. and in a concise way. So I want to summarize kind of what you guys have been saying and then add a little bit to that. Uh, what we're talking about here is repentance is the inner change that gives rise to a new God-centered, Christ-exalting behavior. Inner change that gives rise to behavioral change. Uh, but it is not simply behavior modification, no. right? It's not uh, us trying to earn our salvation, get ready for grace, or prove something, because that is what we call penance, right? Mm -hmm. The Roman Catholic Church teaches penance, and that's what it is. It's getting ready for grace. Uh, penance is centered on what you do, focused on what you see and feel, and always leaves sinners powerless. Repentance is repentance onto life. It's life giving. Another example that I would give uh, to, to move away from repentance and penance, you could say attrition and contrition. Psalm 51 to me is the end all be all yeah. about repentance. It is the Psalm of repentance and it's incredible. I read it probably at least once a month. And in there we see David has a broken and contrite heart. His heart is broken because he's offended God. True repentance comes from a broken and contrite heart. On the other hand, Attrition is a kid getting his hand caught in a cookie jar. He's saying, I'm sorry, because he's afraid of what's about to happen, because he's trying to avoid punishment. He's not, he doesn't have a broken heart over offending his mother or father. He's simply just trying to get a ticket out of hell. Yeah, so true. And, you know, look at Paul's example, right? Acts 26, 19 through 21. He's speaking to King Agrippa here. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. 
And then I love what he said next. He said, for these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's almost still going on. Yes. You know, people get so enraged <laughs> about, but, but listen to what Paul's saying. I mean, today, when you hear some of the, what I call easy believism proponents, because that's really what it comes down to. It's yep. basically, oh yeah, you're saved, you do whatever you want. It's almost an antinomian type of right. spirit, you know? But that's not the biblical model given to us when it comes, Paul saying, listen, what did I do? I, I declared that they should repent, turn to God, and what? Do works befitting repentance. Right. It's like what John said, bear fruit worthy of repentance. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah, and that's what I was going to get into with John the Baptist and the, these religious leaders who had everything going correct on the outside. They said, you brood of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath which is to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. You claim to be right with God yet your lives will speak contrary to your actions, to, to your words, rather. Your actions are contrary to your words. So, Fair fruit. Fruit of repentance, you can see it in the life of Zacchaeus. Yes. You know, he said, behold, Lord, I give half my goods to the poor, if wrong, anyone paying back fourfold. So are you trying to earn your salvation? No. He's already received Christ, or Christ has received him, and now he's doing this as fruit of repentance. Absolutely. Evidence. That, it's a that's complete abandonment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The evidence of grace. And it's interesting because the command to repent is equal and almost synonymous with the command to be born again. Uh, both of them are a working gift in God that we respond through obedience, right? So repentance is not about what needs to be done, but rather repentance is about becoming undone. And the verse, of course, is Isaiah 6, 5, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I have, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. There's that turning from, but also turning towards something beautiful and incredible and glorious, which is the King on his throne. Yeah. You know, Spurgeon said something real powerful. He said, apparently, speaking of those that were enemies of the importance of preaching repentance. Apparently, they interpret repentance to be a somewhat slighter thing than we usually conceive it to be, a mere change of mind, in fact. And, and the key word there is mere, right? Because we know it includes that metanoia. That, that, that is a part of the definition. Now, he goes on, allow me to suggest to those dear brethren that the Holy Ghost never preaches repentance as a trifle. And the change of mind or understanding of which the gospel speaks is a very deep and solemn work and must not on any account be depreciated. Moreover, there is another word which is also used in the original Greek for repentance, not so often I admit, but still is used, which signifies an aftercare, a word which has in it something more of sorrow and anxiety than that which signifies changing one's mind. There must be sorrow for sin and hatred of it in true repentance, or else I have read my Bible to little purpose. That's so powerful. You know, it's, it's so true that you have to understand that there is fruit that, that is evident when someone is truly broken over their sin. And again, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's all God doing it. It's God drawing. It's God convicting. It's God creating brokenness. It's God causing the sinner to, to, to lift up his voice in a cry of confession and, and a plea for forgiveness. It's all him. And it's instant, <laughs> you know, there's no time to go out and do work. Again, like I said, it's not an action, it's an inaction, right? When I'm repenting and turning to God, I'm not at that moment, you know, fornicating, literally. I'm not at that moment murdering someone. I'm not that, at that moment doing drugs, right? So I'm not doing it now, it's an inaction. I've changed my mind and now I continue in the power of the Spirit to not re-engage 
and those things. I like what you're saying about sorrow. Is me contrition is the essence of repentance. Godly sorrow works repentance. Uh, sacrifice of God, a broken spirit, and a contrite heart. And uh, James, in addressing sinners, says, cleanse your hands, your sinners, purify your heart, you're double-minded. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And so often we hear, it's so easy to become a Christian, just give your heart to Jesus. And Jesus said the opposite. He said, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life, and few that be the finder to strive to enter the straight gate. For straight is the gate and narrow is the way. The word strive in the Greek is an agonosomai, wrong pronunciation. How do you pronounce it easy? <laughs> Again, as all my... Yeah, something like that. And from the word that we derive, agonize. And so that's what James is talking about. Let your uh, laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. And you see this so evident in Psalm 51, the flippant David who's pointing his finger at the guy that killed a little lamb. Suddenly, the finger points at him. Those 10 fingers of God point at him. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to loving kindness, according to the multitude of tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And I love the way... He owns his sin right through there. My sin, my transgressions again and again. And, and he focuses in on sinning against God, right? Because yes, you figure he had someone murdered, his family's burdened by this, the, the mother of the child is burdened by this, the entire country is burdened against, against it, and yet he says, against you and you alone have I sinned one day. Absolutely. I was thinking just this morning how there's a consolation that when he found that Bathsheba was pregnant, he didn't have the baby aborted. He had the husband aborted. Wow. And so he had sinned against God horribly. The next question in our lineup, and we're already starting to answer this, but we can get into the nuance a little bit. Is repentance necessary for salvation? I mean, only if the person wants to have a relationship with God. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, once again, I mean, we, we don't need to rehash or go back through everything that Easy had, uh, had shared here, you know. J.C. Ryle said, sin forsaken is one of the best evidences of sin forgiven. So it's above my pay grade, once again, to uh, get down to the minutiae detail of the timing uh, of it all. I'm just grateful that salvation belongs to God. Um, boy, we quote Spurgeon a lot in here. I, I mean, <laughs> well, we can't help it. The guy was the prince He's of safe. preachers. I mean, it, it's been said that uh, the sneeze is attributed to Spurgeon, and we all just quote him all day long ever since. He, he's just a brilliant man. I, I, I love him uh, tremendously. He said, if Christ has died for me, ungodly as I am, without strength as I am, then I can no longer live in sin, but I must arouse myself to love and serve him who has redeemed me. I cannot trifle with the evil that killed my best friend. I must be holy for his sake. How can I live in sin when he has died to save me from it? And easy, I, 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 love, I love the fact that you're able to grab a hold of somebody from yesteryear and to put it in such plain English as, as you have been doing here. It's just amazing. Can I just say something about quoting Spurgeon? We can take consolation that Spurgeon actually quoted Spurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> I once said, <laughs> yeah, boy, that was beautiful, Mark. It really, Spurgeon. I mean, I know this isn't a Spurgeon session, but yeah, what, what, a, what a gift he, he is to the church. I mean, while, while dead, yet he speaketh, you know, and it's, it's beautiful. The, the thing about the, the anti-repentance preachers, the easy believism crowd is honestly, they, they, give you the impression that scripture never talks about repentance. I mean, if you were to listen to them, you think, oh, that's nowhere to be found in the Bible. I can only imagine what one of their followers would think if they actually read the New Testament. 
you know, and came across, I mean, it, all over Luke 24, 47, Jesus said, repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Uh, he said, uh, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Luke 5, 32. Uh, the Bible speaks, of course, in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, uh, about repentance unto salvation. Um, you know, Acts 11, uh, 18, that then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. I mean, again and again and again, all over. I mean, we're not even getting into, into some of the other verses. Um, you know, you quoted Acts 17.30 earlier, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And he puts the onus on them. Yeah. You're commanded to repent. Right, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, Second Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I wanted it to read those off in succession because it's all throughout scripture. So Oscar, in answer to your question, to stay on topic, is repentance necessary for salvation? The best way to answer that is it is an indispensable part of salvation all throughout scripture. So part of salvation reiterated again and again throughout scripture and an unrepentant person in, in my, from my perspective, and I think a biblical one, is an unregenerate person. They, they go hand in hand. It, yeah. It's impossible. It's like saying, you know, I was born to a, a, a human father and mother, but I'm not human. What are you talking about? It's indispensable. It's inseparable. You know, the local church rejoices when decisions are made, but heaven holds on to its rejoicing and its applause until repentance is made. And when we have a repentant man, we have the applause of heaven. We need to remember that. We are not hitting the streets to get decisions for Christ. Ray, you talk about how easy it is to get a decision you know, for Christ to get somebody almost scared enough to just yeah. simply repeat a prayer, a prayer of which is not found inside the Bible, we need to remove ourselves from this traditional mindset. We say that we're against the Roman Catholic Church and its traditions, but we fail to recognize that we have become a people based upon traditions. The altar call, it's based upon tradition. The sinner's prayer, it's based upon a tradition. We need to not go for decisions which is based upon a tradition and go for a repentant heart that is scripturally based and it would be no big deal if it wasn't for the we're talking about the salvation of the lost right. right you know if we were plumbers and people doing something wrong so what you get a leak here and there but this is the salvation of the lost and martin said uh, repentance to be entire must be perpetual it's a continual thing as easy as often said and i, I just think isaiah 55 verse 6 uh, through 7 Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. That's what repentance is, a forsaking of your way and your thoughts, a change of mind and a change of direction because of your change of mind. Yeah. Um, I want to, real quick, I just want to um, quote someone. I don't think you guys have ever heard of this guy. His name is Spurgeon. He said, <laughs> beloved friends, we cannot at this time do without either of these any more than could the Greeks and Jews. Faith and repentance is what he's talking about. They are essential to salvation. Some things may be, but these must be. Certain things are needful to the well-being of a Christian, but these things are essential to the very being of a Christian. If you have not repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, you have no part nor lot in this matter. It was good, but you would have had a deeper voice. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> We've always joked. Magic yes. Surgeon had like this super high voice. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson. 
I want to. Mike Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson. Yeah. Uh, you know, we asked this question. Uh, we asked the question on social media. What do you want to ask about repentance? And many people ask the question, is repentance necessary for salvation? And others took the liberty to respond. And I saw some responses that I think none of us would agree with. And it was uh, something on the lines of, you need to do repentance and baptism before you get saved. And so now they're turning it into this work. And so I want to just say with clarity, when we ask, is repentance necessary for salvation? We are not asking, or the wrong way of hearing that question or rephrasing that question is, do I need to do this thing called repentance in order to be saved? And I would counter by saying, you do not do repentance in order to be saved, but those who are born again are those who live repentant lives. Those things go hand in hand. Living faith and repentance are two sides to the same coin. They work and come together at the same time. I could use a, um, a really dumb analogy. You're a scuba diver 20 feet down, your oxygen's running out, your foot's caught in a rock, you're going to die. So your rescuers let down this tube with oxygen in it, you put on the mask and you breathe in faith. Putting on the mask, turning to it doesn't save you. Breathing it in doesn't save you. It's the oxygen that saves you. And that oxygen is the grace of God that saves us. Not turning to it, not trusting in it, but it's the oxygen itself that saves us, the grace of God. Yeah, and Oscar, I agree. A person who is regenerate will live a repentant life. It's carried out throughout your life. But in that instant of regeneration, that repentance and faith come together all divinely orchestrated by the hand of God. Look, I just quoted Spurgeon. That was a very powerful, direct, hardcore thing that he said. However, you have to remember, Spurgeon was a Calvinist. He was as monergistic as you can get. That that's that God is in charge of salvation. And so, I mean, you have to remember, right? This is a guy who believes God is totally, completely, sovereignly directing conversion, and yet he's speaking very clearly on these things that we see in Scripture. So you have to remember that. Man's responsibility. Yep, absolutely. Uh, So the next question that comes up, which normally is a part of this conversation on repentance, is this lordship salvation that we're talking about? Yeah, uh, these people accuse me of lordship salvation. To me, lordship salvation is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's your Lord, and you obey him. He's the supreme Lord. But they made it something that it wasn't, that by saying that you must repent to be saved, I was preaching what they called lordship salvation, which they called heresy, which is, you know, whenever you say repentance is necessary for salvation, you set yourself up as as a works, someone who's preaching works, but we're not. We're saying, as we've said before, we're saved by grace and we're saved, we partake of that grace through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Repentance is God-given, faith is God-given. I mean, that's exactly right. You know, we, we don't make Jesus Lord he is Lord. Right. And as Lord, we're merely having people recognize him for who he is. He is Lord supreme. You don't need to accept him. You need to receive him. He is who he is. You need to bow down and repent to this one. Well, and there's no historic, orthodox, or scriptural argument that Jesus is not Lord Right. Right. Everywhere throughout history, throughout orthodoxy and throughout scripture, Jesus is always Lord. So I, I, I mean, to me, yes and amen. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yeah. I mean, if, if I could, again, kind of hit on the fact that this is another straw man argument. Right. So could you define straw man? Because some people don't know. Don't know yeah. What a straw man argument is basically 
erecting uh, a sort of an image of something that is not in line with what that person actually believes or what that doctrine actually it's is. Creating an argument you can pull down real easy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's, you believe this, and then I'll let me rip that apart. And that's not what you believe. Exactly. That's Perfect. Yeah. Overexposing a portion of an argument. Right. And, and, and twisting facts about it that so aren't redefining accurate. it. We're going to yeah. forget what we're originally talking Let's about. go all day just doing that. <laughs> You're talking about sandwiches, right? <laughs> but they do that. They do that with, with Lordship Salvation as well. Basically, they, they come out and they say, well, Lordship Salvation preaches that you're saved by works. And repentance and faith are works. You say repentance and faith are part of salvation. Therefore, you're preaching a gospel of works. And it's, it's just ridiculous. Again, one of the biggest proponents of Lordship Salvation would be John MacArthur. Again, John MacArthur is a Calvinist. He's monergistic. He totally believes it's all a work of God. I mean, that's the last kind of person who would hold to works. The whole Lordship Salvation premises, and again, whether it's rightly defined or not, but, but I think if it's seen in its true sense, it's simply that, listen, if someone is truly born again, if someone has truly been regenerated as a free gift of God's grace by the Spirit of God, that person's life will manifest the fact that Jesus is their Lord. And, and the flip side is, of that is say a prayer and, you know, confess to having made a profession of faith in Christ and now go do whatever you want. That's great. We're saying if you're truly born again, you won't do go out and do what you want. You won't have that attitude. The seed of God abides in you. You can't practice sin. You have a now an innate fear of new God desires. that's been given you new desires, a new heart, a new nature. And so... Proverbs 28, 13. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. So you don't get the mercy without forsaking your sins. If you carry on in adultery and lying and stealing and murder and... Uh, you, you, you've got no assurances, should have no assurances. Right. It's evidence that you haven't been regenerated and that the mercy of God hasn't been manifested in your life. You know, I think what is often misunderstood is as though uh, responding to the Lordship of Jesus means that you have this debtor's grace. And by no means are we talking about a debtor's grace because the debtor's grace is not the gospel. Absolutely. When we talk about Jesus being our Lord, uh, look, we have lords in all of our lives. I mean, anybody who's ever said, I would do anything for you to their fiance or spouse, right? Anybody who has ever said, I'd do anything for that thing, right? That is putting something in your life as Lord. What we're saying is we would do anything for our Lord, for our Savior. We're simply replacing the little lords in our life for the one true Lord, which is Jesus Christ. Uh, look, the New Testament knows no distinction between Lord and Savior. They're indistinguishable. They're, they're the same. If he's Savior, he's Lord. Right. It's, I mean, I get really riled up about this because I just, I, I'm blown away that there are people out there actually preaching. Yeah, just make Jesus Savior. Oh, you don't, yeah, I don't have to worry right. about it. It's like, he's your homeboy. Yeah, like, are you kidding me? But it's, again, it's inseparable from, from regeneration and conversion and the receiving of the new nature. It all happens instantly. And he's my savior and he's my Lord. And you live under his lordship naturally. Right. Well, that's, that's exactly right. A.W. Pink, in referring to that, he says, the nature of Christ's salvation is woefully misrepresented by the present day evangelist. He announces a savior from hell rather than a savior from sin. And that is why so many are fatally deceived for there are multitudes who wish to escape the lake of fire who have no desire to be delivered from the carnality and worldliness that they possess. 
William Booth said, uh, the chief danger of the 20th century will be forgiveness without repentance, salvation without generation, uh, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I've been quoting that for like 40 years, and uh, back, you know, last century, I started quoting it, and it wasn't a reality then. No one was really preaching repentance uh, without, or forgiveness without repentance, but now we're seeing it. John Wesley uh, believed there's no justification without repentance. He said, God does undoubtedly command us both to repent and to bring forth fruits meet for repentance, which if we willingly neglect, we cannot reasonably expect to be justified at all. Therefore, both repentance and the fruits meet for repentance are in some sense necessary to justification. Matthew Henry, if those who have lived a wicked life repent and forsake their wicked ways, they shall be saved. So it's, it's not, we're not just looking at scripture, we're looking at these greats in the past who knew scripture and preach the truth of repentance and faith. This leads us to our last question, guys, which sort of is a no duh, but we're going to get into the nuance of it. Should we preach repentance? Duh. No duh. <laughs> only, <laughs> you knew that was coming. Only yeah. if you want to be biblical. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. Uh, but I want to say this before, before you guys jump in here. Um, we absolutely need to re- be preaching repentance, but we cannot preach repentance unless we ourselves are practicing repentance daily. When we don't repent daily, we are like the Pharisees who loved the reputation for knowing God more than they loved God. They were expert Bible students who searched the scriptures with the conviction that they thought they knew the way to eternal life. And despite the intensity that they had for their religion and their authenticity, Jesus said that it was all a pretense. For in their hearts, they were blinded because they sought glory from one another and not from God. They knew they were sinners in theory, but could not identify their sin and need for grace daily. They saw everything so clearly without really seeing anything at all. We cannot preach repentance unless we are ourselves practicing daily repentance. So on on our uh, YouTube channel this morning where someone wrote, you cannot repent without a Catholic priest. And I thought, man, there's one media. Thank you, Lord, that, that we can come straight to you. I would have said, I cannot repent with a Catholic priest. <laughs> you know, in, in a court of law, a judge, uh, what he's looking for in a criminal is uh, contrition. Right. He's looking for contrition, a good judge, because that'll determine whether or not he extends mercy towards him. And if the guy's unrepentant, then he will bring wrath upon him if he's a good judge. But if, he's, if he can detect genuine contrition and genuine you know, sorry for sin that bleeds about repentance. He will extend mercy if he's a, a merciful judge. And that's what we see in God. Repentance is a joy because we understand the indescribably powerful truths of the gospel. I can repent because Christ has taken away the handwriting of decrees that were against me, having nailed them to the cross, Colossians tells us, that he is a propitiation for my sins. He's that advocate that that was there to plead my case before God because he bore the wrath of God in my place. So like Mark alluded to earlier, repentance is such good news. And when I'm in tune with the ramifications of that doctrine, it excites me to proclaim the gospel to people. It brings me joy to tell people, hey, you can repent. Here's why, (laughs) right? Because God left the heights of heaven who owed us nothing but wrath and judgment, walked this earth, lived the perfect life in our place, kept the law in its entirety, 
and then went to the cross, became our substitutionary atonement. He bore the wrath of God in our stead. And now, because of that, because of his Holy Spirit working this in you, you can repent and turn to God and be born again. And we have such impetus for fruit of repentance. Think of the prodigal son. I'll go back to my father and say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me on as your hired servant. Goes back to his father and cries, Father, forgive me. And his father kills the fatted calf, clothes him. And what does he do? Go back to prostitutes? You're kidding. In the light of his father's grace towards him. But in there, in the prodigal son story, there's no sacrifice of the father. But we have one that we can look at. We can look to that cross and say, Lord, if you do that for me, how could I ever go back to sin? That's our impetus. C.S. Lewis, uh, he taught Spurgeon everything he knows. (laughs) (laughs) Time travel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He went back, told Spurgeon what's up, (laughs) then went forward and wrote Chronicles. C.S. Lewis wrote, the devil always sends error in pairs, pairs of opposites. He relies on your extra dislike of one to draw you gradually into the opposite one. But do not let us be fooled. We have to keep our eyes on the goal and go straight through between both errors. When it comes to the subject of repentance, I think that there could be two errors, and we've talked about both of them already. There's preaching penance, which is behavior modification, and then there's excluding repentance altogether. And neither of those two things are the gospel. John Calcohan wrote, godly sorrow of biblical repentant is also a lively grief, a grief that quickens the soul. The sorrow of the world works death. It indisposes a man for activity and duty, but godly sorrow quickens a man to the spiritual performance of duty. The former arises from a slavish dread which chills and stiffens the soul, so renders it unfit for action. The latter from faith and love, which warms the heart and disposes it to be active. It's impossible for someone to meet the Lord of glory in his full revelation of his ultimate majesty and not be grieved by their particular sins. Simon the Pharisee was a small sinner who had little, if anything, to confess. And yet the prostitute wept at Jesus's feet and her faith was counted to her as righteousness. When we preach repentance, we must not stop at the recognition and sorrow for sin. The gospel of Jesus is not only turning from, it's also turning to the glory and goodness of Jesus. When the gospel of Jesus is preached, repentance is rightly seen as a fountain of living water for a thirsty soul. And so to answer the question, should we preach repentance? We should not rob somebody of godly grief over sin. For if you rob them of their grief, you will also rob them of the joy which comes from a hearty repentance. You know, it sounds like the church needs to repent for its lack of preaching of repentance. Wow, guys. Well, thank you so much. This was incredible. I, I'm, I'm hoping and praying and I'm certain that it will be a tremendous blessing to uh, our friends, our partners, and for everyone else who hears it when this goes online. So thank you. And thank you to our partners. Without you guys, uh, none of this would be possible. You, you come alongside us uh, in proclamation of the gospel and inspiring and equipping Christians and fulfilling the Great Commission. So thank you and God bless. Yeah, Ray, I've said this before, but if there's anything you get harassment about, it's the topic of repentance. And my height. Yeah, that's... Well, <laughs> or lack of it. But that one is... 
axiomatic, war- war- warranted, yeah, warranted, yeah, warranted. Yeah. yeah, there's so many people out there that just whine because they don't understand what biblical repentance is. Hmm. Unless you repent, you'll perish. Repentance unto life. So it's an essential doctrine, and it's one that the enemy hates. Yeah. Yeah, glad we were able to tackle it today, friends. Hope you're encouraged. By the way, I can't forget to mention that we got this amazing mug from our brother Emmanuel uh, with a bunch of stuff in our mouths. <laughs> Ray's got his dog behind his shoulder. Mark's chomping on a, a hot dog from Wiener Schnitzel. I don't know what's in my mouth. Your, it's, it's like the cream puff. Is that falafel? Oh, is that I thought cream? it was the cream puff. Cream puff. Oh, it's a cream puff. Yeah. We all got one. And Oscar... <laughs> It has a thought bubble that says dot com, or a speech bubble, rather. Anyhow, uh, Emmanuel, thank you so much. And for the lovely card you sent us with all of our same pictures of our faces on it, uh, you blessed us. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that's so nice. Yeah. Uh, all right, friends, there you have it. Don't forget to get all of that good stuff, especially divine dining foods from the Bible, Living Waters Mug, the Evanside Bible, all livingwaters.com. You know all this stuff. You've heard me say it before. Podcast at livingwaters.com. Go to those platforms. Do your thing. Thank you for joining us, friends. We'll see you here next time on the Living Waters Podcast. The ultimate cure for insomnia. That just put me to sleep. chicken dinner. I have no idea where that ridiculous saying came from, but friends, we do have winners. Winners for the podcast giveaway. That is the Living Waters podcast. We have Angela from Yucca Valley, California. Yvonne from Crestline, California. Brooke from Clayton, North Carolina. Andrea from Anderson, Indiana. Elias from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Becca from Lincoln University, Pennsylvania. Lowell from Yakima, Washington. Don from Charleston, Illinois. John from Ford, Australia. Good on you, Mike. And Dave from Willen Lane, United Kingdom. Congrats.